Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's Nerdist Writers Panel was recorded at ATX Television Festival in Austin. That's Austin's best television festival. No offense, none taken. Uh, badges are already on sale for next year's festival, and I know they have some amazing things being cooked up. Uh, it'll be hard to top this year's festival, which boasted screenings and guests from Orange is the New Black and The Strain and Fargo and kind of everything great, uh, Andy Daly's review, all kinds of terrific things. Um, but they are going to indeed try to top it, and there's going to be lots of cool stuff next year. Uh, starting on June 4th, I believe, go to atxfestival.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. What are you doing? Uh, so we are here to talk about remakes, adaptations, reboots, reimaginings, whatever reword you want to do. Uh, there's a lot of it going on right now in television, and we have some people uh, involved in those. Uh, Jason Kadams uh, is going to be joining us shortly. He just flew in, but he will be here at some point. He'll just run across the stage and wave. But right now we have with us uh, from Bates Motel, Carrie Aaron. Uh, from Fargo, we have Noah Hawley. And from the show with the hardest uh, Google SEO of any show on television review, Andy Daly. We'll start with you. Review with Forrest McNeil was originally based on an Australian show named Review with Miles Barlow. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, t- tell me about like how you came to, to see that show. Well, that show, I don't, I don't know how commonly this happens to scripted narrative shows, but it was... Uh, Developed in Australia, it ran for two seasons on the Australian Broadcasting Company, or it was owned by them, and they sold it to an international format company, uh, which normally deals in game show and uh, reality formats and stuff, but they sold this uh, scripted comedy format to, this, to one of these companies, and they sold it internationally. They, they got a, there was a Dutch pilot, <laughs> and uh, one was developed in England and all that, and then they, they showed it to Comedy Central, and Comedy Central thought of me right away to do it. Uh, and sent me uh, DVDs of it, and I, I agreed with them that I'm the only person who could possibly pull it off in, in America. Country. In America, yes, absolutely. And Carrie, Bates Motel is at least somewhat very loosely at this point inspired by a little movie that some people have heard of called Psycho. Yeah, it is. I mean, that was a daunting, um, a daunting little movie to work off of. I'm not going to lie. It was very uh, scary to think about making that into a prequel. You know, uh, before Carlton and I agreed to do it, I think we both had many nightmares of the bad version of it, (laughs) what that would look like. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, there was just um, something in the um, that story of the mother and the son and the opportunity to tell a story about a, a dysfunctional um, relationship was so interesting to me because you can't walk into a network and pitch that. You know, you can't walk into a network and go, I want to do a show about a boy who's in love with his mother and he's going to kill her in the end. You know, you, and, and so I was like, given that that was the package that we, you know, every, it made it palatable to everyone. Okay, they knew what it was. So that, you know, I mean, you're like, how do you walk away from that? It's like, I get to write that, you know? So, um, just kind of fell in love with that part of it, and, and it grew from there. 
And, and no, I imagine that's sort of the, you get the same, it's, it's sort of a blessing and a curse with the Fargo name. I mean, there's these expectations, but could you tell this kind of story without that brand name attached to it? No, I mean, making a Coen Brothers movie gives me leeway I wouldn't normally get to mix tone, drama, and comedy, and violence, and a little magic realism, and whatever else that, you know, <laughs> because it, they're really the most idiosyncratic filmmakers of all time, and and so, you know, I can have a 10-minute parable sequence in the middle of an episode because it's a Coen Brothers movie, so I can do that. So that, that was really exciting, you know, obviously also a little daunting to, to step into those shoes. But, but, you know, once they said, you know, we, we think we want to do Fargo as a series, but we're wondering if it can be done without Marge, by which they meant any character from the movie, by which they meant, can you make us a Coen Brothers movie, which no one had ever asked me to do before? Uh, you know, and you say yes. When someone asks if you can make a Coen Brothers movie, you say yes. And then you try to do it. It's the idea of being inspired by something. And, and I, I love the fact, and it seems like the most successful version of these shows is when you take someone like Brian Fuller and you say, make Hannibal, you know, make your version of Hannibal and what he gives you is unlike anything else that anyone would make. Um, you know, if you, I think people worry about you know being so loyal to the material, but really it's about giving it to someone who's going to treat it roughly and make it their own. I think. What's the biggest difference you would say yours is versus theirs? Uh, the biggest difference is probably we we gave our main character more uh, other characters to play off of to be his foils, and we did much more of a narrative arc. They're, they have self-contained pieces and self-contained episodes that don't all uh, carry over. We, we gave our season a, a season-long arc, and they're all, so everything that he does impacts what he does later. There's no reset button. They do a little bit of resetting. Was it specifically going to be about Norman's teenage years, like when, when you, you and Carlton came into it? How did you figure out the area of his life and the way you were going to approach it? Yes, it was. I, that, was that was what... Uh, I mean, I was brought into it, actually. I was the last player... Um, I think um, A&E and Universal wanted to develop a prequel. So I I sort of came in on that. But I also liked it because um, he hadn't killed anyone yet. And I'm I'm in such denial that he's he's a bad guy. So, so it kind of fit me very well that I could, I could uh, kind of stay in that fantasy land where he's like, he's a teenage boy. He just wants a happy life. <laughs> and did you guys find yourselves rewatching the movie much or at all? In no, the I process? did it once. Um, I, obviously, I've seen the film. Um, I didn't watch it before I accepted the project. I watched it after the first season to see like how painful it would be like like if it fit together and it kind of does i mean it was it wasn't totally like you can kind of see the two worlds merging in a way it was kind of cool oh here he is jason cannon i didn't ask for permission i guess always easier to ask for forgiveness um but uh you know i didn't know when i was writing the first episode that i was going to find the money, sorry, spoiler zone, uh, find the money from the movie. But when I did think that I should do that, it, it felt very exciting to connect. I mean, I like the idea that for the first three episodes, you think the show has nothing at all to do with the movie other than being set in the same region. And then suddenly you realize that there is a connection. And I think that that's very exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, the minute that I was set free from having to connect my adaptation to the actual movie it's adapting, um, you know, it became incumbent on me to figure out, well, what 
made that movie that movie and what makes a Coen Brothers movie a Coen Brothers movie. Now, Jason, welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, you, ha- you have somehow in your career become adaptation guy. This is, I think, about a boy's, I think, your fourth show based on pre-existing material. Um, at what point did you sort of realize that this was happening and it, that it kept happening to you or were you seeking it out after a certain point? Well, I'm realizing it now in this moment when you said that. Because <laughs> it was not any, it was certainly nothing I set out to do. I think in every single case, um, it was an um, opportunity that presented itself each, each time in a, in a different way, sometimes in an unexpected way, um, that, um, you know, I sort of jumped into. Um, and um, approaching each one of them, because there are four, there's four... I was counting them, you know, because I I didn't, you know, I was really not, not super conscious of that, because Roswell was was an adaptation, because it was a a young adult novel, or young adult novel series actually, and then, um, and then and then Parent and Friday Lights and now About a Boy, and uh, I kind of approached, you know, sort of each one of them in in sort of a different way, as I'm, you know, kind of you know taking. You know, each one on it was sort of a different challenge, and I had a different approach to, um, you know, in, in each case how I was, you know, kind of dealing with the the source material. And in each case, to me, it was kind of like using the source material to my best advantage. In Parenthood, it was, um, you know, what I what I did was I I, I rewatched the the movie. Um, it, it was a movie that I, you know, kind of really loved. But it, you know, when when I did it, I think it was writing the, writing the pilot. I think it was already. I think it was. Um, t- t- I think it was twenty years after the movie, so it was a long time. So I remember rewatching it, and when I rewatched it, I thought the thing I think that I found in that in that movie, the the sort of goldmine that I found in that movie in terms of a- adaptation was, I thought it was like the perfect sort of format for a, a, a television show um, in, in the characters of, of the, you know, of the movie. It was almost, you know, like more perfect for a television show than it was for a movie. The in, really important thing for me to do after I watched the, the movie a couple of times was to put it away, do the harder work, which was how do I make it my own? You know, and I remember the first time I went into it for a meeting about it with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. The thing I remember most distinctly about that meeting was every time when I was talking about what I planned to do, and I was still in the very sort of, you know, uh, sort of beginning stages of it, when I talked about, you know, what I wanted to do with the movie, every time I mentioned something that was different from the movie um, is when they leaned in. When they said, we want to adapt the movie without any of the characters, it's like someone says, you know, here's a painting of a city, we want you to copy this painting without any of the buildings in it. You know, it's like we want... (laughs) We want something that makes us feel the way we felt watching the movie, but it's not the movie. So, so that becomes really an interesting challenge. Um, and then, you know, I I had I decided that I needed to be tricky to sneak uh, Allison's character into the show because obviously Frances McDormand won an Oscar, and it's uh, one of the iconic performances of all time. So, um, you know, so I created a you know a, a police chief who was a man with a pregnant wife so the audience goes oh I see what he did he just tw- switched it so um, and then of course I 
killed him off. But meanwhile, I'd introduced Molly as a kind of sidekick character. So once you realize that, that, that she's really the star of the show, you haven't judged her head-to-head against Francis because you're judging her by, against, by a different standard. She's sort of like the Lou, the guy who gets the dealer plate thing wrong. You know, like she's there for color. So, um, so you're, you're more open to her, I, I think. How do you decide on all of these additional elements to add to the backstory? You know, the um, Carlton brought brought in the idea of the of the corruption of the town and the um, the drug uh, business, and I think what's fun about the show is that it combines this really kind of over the top pot boiler sort of storytelling with this really nuanced character drama um and i think that's why it's really fun it's actually fun to break because of that because we just get to do crazy shit i mean it's like there's there's a sex slave in in this guy's basement and it's like you know and on one hand you that's not so crazy (laughs) i mean andy is there something we need to know give it a chance but um i think because the landscape of that of that story is so strange and dark that that it sort of fits in to have these really big, um, dark, kind of gothic uh, storytelling elements in it. Andy, I'm curious if there's certain things about Miles Barlow that are uniquely Australian versus things about Forrest that are American, like things you had to change because they just wouldn't fly over here. Crocodile wrestling and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we couldn't do any of those segments. No, I don't... um... There were, there were definitely certain particular segments that we looked at and we, uh, we wondered if we could do them uh, pretty close to the way that they had done them in Australia, and we, and we couldn't. One that comes to mind is their racism segment. Uh, <laughs> he, he reviews racism, what's it like to be a racist, and, uh, and we did that one too. And in, in Australia, it was, you could have replaced racism for xenophobia. So, you know what I mean? It's a little more that that, that seems to be where it hits, hits home for Australians is sort of outsiders coming in and all that. And then, it, and then it ended, their version ended with him finding himself at home as a racist at an Australia Day rally, which perhaps in Australia was a biting social commentary. But I don't know what Australia Day is or, or, what, or what these rallies are meant to be. So we had to kind of uh, strip away all of, all of those references and come at it in a totally new way, you know, for a way that felt... American. With Parenthood, um, y- you know, it wasn't like anybody, you know, they came to me and said, we want to do a show, we want to do a show from Parenthood, since, as you pointed out, they'd already done it. And uh, <laughs> This is a real thing, I swear. They'd done it a long time ago. Uh, it, for me, it was more, um, I, you know, came to them, uh, you know, I had worked with uh, Imagine with with Ron and Brian on Friday Night Lights, and they had done the the movie at, at Universal. So there were there was there were all those connections. But really, the reason why what I really wanted to do was I was doing Friday Night Lights still, and the thing that I was really you know there were so many things I was loving about doing that show. But one of the things that I really loved was this 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 the big ensemble, you know what I mean? I was really enjoying telling this, those stories where we had, in some episodes, you know, in every episode, four or five storylines, and in some episodes, we would have six or seven stories that we were, you know, touching on in an episode, and I was really enjoying that, and I wanted to do that uh, with whatever my next show was going to be, and thought of doing 
Um, you know, and, I, and, and so I was really inspired. I really wanted to do a, um, a big, messy family. Parenthood gave me sort of two things. One, it was an incredible you know, foundation to do that. But it also gave me the ability to go in and pitch an unpitchable show to the network, which was I want to do you know, a show about a lot of big, messy people a lot of, you know, make a lot of mistakes. Um, and um, that's not really like a very good pitch. But <laughs> all you have to do is add its parenthood. And, there, you know, it really, I mean, really, there's the idea that there was a, uh, a you know, a title. It, there was a, it was a beloved movie. Um, it helped getting it, mo- moving it forward on the sort of network side. And then the movie helped me on the creative side, sort of figuring out what that show was going to be. The biggest responsibility I felt ever in that adaptation was on Friday Night Lights. And I didn't do the pilot. It was coming on after the pilot. And it was not so much any, you know, specific moments, but it was just the overall, you know, feeling of that world. And the, the fact that, you know, that there was a, an incredible book, movie, and a pilot that all you know, sort of delivered on feeling so, in, to, to me, just so authentic and so real. And to me, that was the biggest responsibility I've ever felt in terms of, you know, in, in terms of, you know, ad- adapting something was wanting to um, live up to that. This is, the, this is the interesting thing about when you're, when you're working off something that exists is that people kind of get an idea of what it should be a little bit. And if you're not doing that, <laughs> um, they notice at a certain point. Um, and they, and they, they start to ask questions like, is one Storman going to kill somebody? And things like that. And, and you just kind of try to slide off of it <laughs> and do the story that you want to do. I, when I did Roswell, I, I, I remember there was a... Um, you know, there's always a tension on that show between, um, you know, the the show that I was sort of envisioning, which was this sort of, um, you know, a teen ensemble show that had this, you know, genre element to it, and the show that the network was picturing, which was a show about aliens, and uh, <clears throat> you know, and that was that was sort of an ongoing question that you know throughout actually the series of the show um, and at, at one point in the first season of the show um, you, know, we would, you always kind of talk to the network executives who are you never talk to the president of the network when you, you, know, when you, when you, when you deliver a script or, or, or a um, cut, you know, you always get notes from somebody else and uh, I remember one day somebody calling me saying I, I have a message for you I have a note from the president of the network, and I didn't know whether this was—I didn't know if this was good or bad. I was like, "Okay, what's the note?" The note is aliens, aliens, aliens. You know, we showed um, the first episode to um, to Joel and Ethan, and um, you know, Ethan's response was, "Yeah, good," which you know I heard was a rave review out of them. But but uh, no, they've been very you know absent, which. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately is probably the best thing for everybody, not that they're not geniuses. and It's just when you get handed this thing to execute a vision, it, like I said, you can't make a Coen Brothers movie by committee, and, and even the Coen Brothers, would that would be a committee. So, um, 
you know, I would love to hear their thoughts or, or engage with them. Um, I had, you know, I had waffles with them in, the, in New York, and that, that was the, basically the sum total of my experience. If it's a great story and it makes a great movie and the characters are great or the book is great, you get to spend like a bazillion more hours with those people and uh, get into all the nooks and crannies of their lives. Yeah, Jason, I imagine you, I know you were able to get into a lot more of sort of the themes of the Friday Night Lights book than Pete could in the movie. It was great, yeah. I mean, that was something that Pete always sort of talked about. And I think one of the reasons why he wanted to make it into a television show is that there are so many things in the book that he wanted to put into the movie that he made that there wasn't time to do. You know, we got to explore so many different, you know, aspects of that world. I would like to thank our fantastic panelists for coming. Jason, thank you for running from the airport. Thank you for coming. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 